Bible reading uh, this uh, Easter Sunday is from Matthew 27 verse 62 to Matthew 28 verse 15, the guard at the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Here ends the reading. Thanks, John. And it's uh, great to be here with you today. It's a great day, isn't it? Remembering all that God has done for us through his son. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll look at that passage that we were just, just heard read. So if you've got your Bibles there, just, just leave them open in front of you. That'll be really helpful. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, we have this opportunity to stop and reflect on your great promises to us, all that Jesus has done for us. And Father, we pray that you'll take these truths, that you'll settle them in our minds and hearts and fill us with both hope and joy as we reflect on uh, both the present and the future that you have guaranteed through the death and resurrection of your Son. Uh, Father, we ask it in his name. Amen. 
as Stephen said before, we've uh, been thinking over these, these last few weeks and the coming week about uh, what it would be like to imagine a world where Easter didn't exist. Not so much the celebration, but the events that lie behind it. And today, the topic is imagine a world where death wins. Imagine a world where death wins. And let me say, that is not very hard to imagine. Not very hard to imagine at all. Uh, This past week, I went to Sydney for a funeral on Tuesday. It was the mother of our pastor that works at Trinity Hills, uh, Lindsay Munro. Uh, She died at aged 74, and I had the opportunity to go and just support Cameron and the family and and be there uh, as part of the occasion. As the service progressed, there were two eulogies that were given uh, by her husband and one of her sons. Uh, Cameron actually took the service, and then... She actually, in effect, gave her own eulogy because she'd written a letter uh, to everyone who would gather for the funeral uh, because she knew she was going to die. And uh, the way she started it was by saying... uh, One of her children stood up and read it, her youngest son, and she said because she had given strict instructions that there were to be no eulogies at her funeral, bearing in mind we just heard two eulogies, (laughs) uh, her youngest son paused at that point and Andrew said... Uh, sorry, Mum, we took a vote and you lost, right? <laughs> and then he continued on. And she spoke uh, to the congregation, in effect, from the grave. A few last words to her friends and family. Uh, it isn't hard to imagine a world where death wins. Uh, Lindsay had fought death for 16 years. She had cancer over that period of time. And she and the doctors threw everything at uh, that cancer, but everyone knew she was going to lose. Everyone knew that. And despite the the fact that death is the the ultimate statistic, we live in a Western society uh, where we hide death. We hide it behind hedges of crematoriums and behind the walls of hospitals. Uh, We euphemise about it. So when someone dies, one of our loved ones, we talk about the fact that they've fallen asleep or they've passed away or they've shuffled off this mortal coil. Uh, We really call death death, actually, in our culture. And when we think about whether there's anything beyond the grave, well, we then almost move into fairy tales speak and pigs that lay eggs territory, to be quite honest. That's the way in which we talk about it, don't we? Uh, They're up there looking down on us. Uh, They're dead, but they'll always be with us. Always be with us. Um, they're up there giving God a few tips on how to organise heaven or they're having a beer with St Peter or, you know, you've heard, heard all those sorts of sayings over time. This morning I want to reflect with you on, on two historical events. Uh, the first is actually relatively easy to believe that Jesus died and that death won. Most people don't have trouble believing that. And the second one is actually a little more difficult to believe, that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death. I want to reflect on those two events. But I don't want to stop and just think with you about the reality of them or the factual nature of those two events, although I'm totally convinced, and I know many of you are totally convinced about the historical veracity of both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I want to ask the question of, relevance. Uh, What difference does it make that Jesus died and that he rose again? 
I mean, it's, it's got quite a nice ring to it, doesn't it? You know, he is punished severely, beaten, uh, treated shamelessly, really, um, shamefully by, by those around him. But in the end, it's almost like Steven Spielberg had a hand in the writing of the last chapter. It gets back up, you know. The little guy wins, and it has that sort of feel to it. But I want to suggest to you, it's not just a, you know, a, a big tick after the cross. You know, that's, that's not what's going on here. Uh, there's something much more profound that's happening that's worth reflecting on together. So let's look at it together. Firstly, it's easy to believe that death wins. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. Uh, most people don't struggle with that one. And in fact, most Australians, when surveys are done, uh, believe that that actually is an event that did happen, that Jesus died at the hands of the Romans. And when you read the account in the Bible, it holds together. It fits our experience of the world, where someone crosses those who have authority and power. Often they set themselves up uh, to be cut down. You think of people like John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King. Uh, Jesus got under the skin of some powerful people and he knew that he was going to die. In fact, he knew he was going to die on a cross. Let me read to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, starting at verse 1. Jesus uh, said to his disciples... As you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man, that's his way of talking about himself, Jesus, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and took counsel together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. It was politically expedient to dispose of Jesus And this matches what we know of human nature and human history and politics. The evidence is strong. People always die. And Jesus died in this way. Straightforward. But then we come to the the event that's actually more challenging to get your head around and to believe. It's that death loses that Jesus rises from the grave, that after being dead for several days, he came back to life again. Now, one of the reasons why it's hard to get our heads around is that it's outside our experience. You know, we don't run into people very often who are dead and then come back to life. And if you struggled to believe this truth, you're actually in quite good company because even Jesus' close friends found it tough to believe. And it was despite the fact that he predicted that, with, that he was going to rise from the dead. And he did that numbers of times and within hours of his own death. Uh, chapter 26, verse 31. He's got his friends around him and he says, This very night you'll all fall away on account of me. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, it was one of many occasions that he let them know he'd be killed and rise again. Uh, He mentions Galilee. He'd go ahead of them to Galilee. That was about three days' journey north of Jerusalem where he was killed and put in a tomb. Now, remember, uh, the close friends had seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. 
They'd even seen him raise a few people from the dead. So, I mean, they'd, they'd seen some extraordinary things during their time with him. Jesus had predicted he was going to die and predicted he was going to rise. Did they believe it was going to happen? Chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, that's a few days after Jesus' body was put in the tomb, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, let me ask you this question. Where are we? Jerusalem or Galilee? Jerusalem or Galilee? We're at Jerusalem. Why are we in Jerusalem? Well, they're going to the tomb. And what do they expect when they go to the tomb? Well, they're going to pay their respects to the dead, uh, possibly put spices on the body. What do they expect to find? Dead Jesus. That's why they're going to the tomb. Now, if they believed that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, where would they be? Well, they'd be in Galilee, because that's where he said he'd meet them. But they're not. They're in Jerusalem. Now, why didn't they believe? I'll tell you why. It's because pigs don't fly. They don't lay eggs and they don't fly, okay? That is, dead people do not rise. They'd seen Jesus tortured, brutally beaten to within an inch of his death, and then crucified. He was dead, dead. And dead people do not get back up. As I said this week, I went to a funeral and it was slightly unusual uh, for the person to actually prepare a eulogy that was read out in the first person. Although I've, I've actually been to funerals where that's been done before. Let me tell you what would have been really unusual if Lindsay had gotten out of the coffin and read it herself. Right? That would have made it quite spectacularly different. Okay? Uh, but that hasn't actually happened at any funeral that I've ever been to or taken, and I'm a professional, okay? I've seen lots of them uh, and taken lots of them, but never been surprised by that particular event. They go to the tomb. What changes their minds? Chapter 28, verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. A huge boulder is pushed back uh, not to let Jesus out but to let the women have a look in and see that he was no longer there. Did you pick up uh, the description around what it was like to meet an angel? I don't know what you think when you uh, hear angel talk in the Bible. Do you think of uh, you know little round guys with... Uh, white bath sheets on them and uh, wings on their back and cherubic faces, a bit like mine, you know, round. Uh, you know, what do you think when you uh, think of angels? Harmless, inoffensive creatures? Listen to the description, verse 3 of chapter 28. The angel's appearance was like lightning, like lightning. And then the guards. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Uh, ever been in a lightning storm and had lightning strike nearby? One of the really startling things about it is, is the, the force and the power of it, but also the incredible noise. You know when you see the lightning and then five seconds later you hear the thunder? Well, normally that's at a distance. 
Well, when you have the lightning and the thunder happen all at the same time, it is just breathtaking and shattering. That's what the angel was like. Right? It was like lightning, which is, makes sense of the guards, why they were just shaking in their boots and, and peeing themselves. You know, really, that's what we're talking about here. They, they were quite shattered, even though they were hardened guards. Verse 5, the angel then says, don't be afraid. That's quite cute really, isn't it? You know, how would you not be afraid in this sort of situation? Don't be afraid, sure thing. You know. For I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said and you can uh, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you'll see him. It's really a, a mild rebuke, isn't it? He said he'd rise, and he has. Where did he say he would meet you? Galilee. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, it's not, not proof of a resurrection from the dead. All that we've got at this point is a statement and an absent body. Of course, when you meet an angel that's like lightning, you probably should listen and listen pretty carefully. But we don't have a body at this point. Pay close attention. But then notice how it's clinched in verses 8 to 10. The women are leaving the tomb and then suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. They saw Jesus alive. If you go to the end of chapter 28, you see that he appears again alive to his disciples. You go to 1 Corinthians 15 in the New Testament and it lists stacks of people that he appeared to, hundreds of people on various occasions. There is strong evidence for the resurrection. But is this just a happy ending to a sad story? Uh, you do have dark events surrounding the cross, uh, but then the good guy comes out on top. See, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus make? Historically unique event. I was in primary school when Armstrong walked on the moon. And that had significance for me because I got out of a whole morning of school to watch it on television, okay? Uh, but, you know, it hasn't really changed much for me over the years, Armstrong walking on the moon. Uh, about the biggest benefit I got was those three hours out of school, to be quite honest. Do you know the one thing that has changed our life from that moon landing? Apparently, Teflon was developed uh, to enable that uh, space probe to go to the moon. And so we now have much more slidey fry pans as a result. Eggs don't stick to our fry pans, so it has made a difference in different ways. So today, what difference does Jesus' resurrection from the dead what, what difference does it make to our lives? What, what relevance? Uh, do we meet this morning as sort of uh, for the AGM of the Jesus Historical Society? You know, we sort of get together, Jesus rose from the dead, we cheer, whoa, 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 you know, and then go home, you know, and we'll come back next year and we'll do it all again. See, what, what, is, what is the significance of remembering 
that Jesus rose from the dead. Let me talk about some implications just briefly uh, for both the death and for the resurrection of Jesus, just as we wrap it together. What is the relevance of Jesus' death? When you uh, read articles in the paper, as we would have had on Friday, I didn't get to see Friday's uh, articles, and they talk about the death of Jesus, often they talk about it, uh, church leaders, as a demonstration of the love of Jesus. His death on the cross is a demonstration of his love. But here's the question I have for you. In what way does it show the love of Jesus? Because on the face of it, it's, it's probably not a very clever way to demonstrate love when you think about it. Like if I was trying to show Sue I loved her, right? So after church today, we go into town, we find the tallest building you know, in the city and I take Sue up to the top and say, Sue, I just want to demonstrate how much I love you and then jump off the building, you know, and on the way down, I love you, darling, you know, splat when I hit the pavement, you know. I don't know that Sue would be convinced about my love for her through that. She would probably just think I'd done something really dumb, okay. So how is it that Jesus dying on a cross demonstrates love rather than stupidity? See, how does that work? Right at the start of Matthew's Gospel, Uh, Chapter 1, verse 21, when Jesus is being introduced, this, this is what's said. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. You see, the cross, Good Friday, it's all about Jesus saving us from sin. And sin's just a way of talking about us living independently of God, living under our own steam, treating God like he's not there. That's the nature of sin, doing things our own way. And and the sin, our sin, the consequence of it is that we deserve to be separated from God and we actually deserve the judgment and the wrath of God. So at one point, the, the cross demonstrates the horror of our sin. Because Jesus had to go to the cross out of love to deal with our sin against God. It speaks of God's forgiveness. While Jesus is on the cross, we read this. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The Jerusalem temple was the place where sacrifices were regularly offered for the sin of the people. And then once a year, the high priest, the appointed high priest, would go behind that curtain that's spoken about when Jesus dies and he would offer the big sacrifice for the sin of the people. Uh, The curtain in that temple, it demonstrated the separation between God and people. It it represented the the sin that stopped us having connection with God. And what happens when Jesus dies on the cross is that curtain is ripped in half by God from top to bottom. Jesus offered the sacrifice for our sin 
and by that means provides this open access to God. Can I say, most people actually believe that Jesus died. Most people in our society do. do. But most people don't get the relevance of it. They don't understand the implication of it. So let me ask you, do you understand the relevance of Jesus' death for you? Do you understand that Jesus went to the cross and died there so that you could be forgiven? And let me just twist a little more. Have you actually asked God that he would forgive you? See, if you believe in the cross, those are the essential implications of believing the cross. Not the event, but what goes with it. Let me turn for just a moment to the the resurrection. What practical relevance does Jesus' resurrection have for our lives? It is a nice end to a sad story, isn't it? It is. No wonder they've made so many Hollywood blockbusters. Uh, It's a great way to finish a story. But is it more? In fact, there are an enormous number of implications that go with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, It's extraordinarily relevant. That is, the resurrection guarantees forgiveness that I've just spoken about. Uh, If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if that didn't happen, then his claim to defeat sin, his claim to be a sacrifice for sin is very hollow. You see, because the way the Bible explains it, sin... Its natural outworking is death. So if death still reigns in Jesus' life, sin has not been dealt with. So even at that level, uh, Jesus being raised means we can have confidence we're forgiven. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then death does win. Everyone dies and everyone stays dead. That's it. Why else would you have any confidence that something more would happen beyond the grave if Jesus stayed in the grave himself? That's another implication. If Jesus has been raised, then his promise to raise those who are forgiven and who trust in him, that promise stands. You see, it's much more than just clever. It actually attacks profoundly the nature of life in this world and life for all eternity. But I also want to suggest to you that you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead and it cannot have much practical effect on your life. A survey was done a few years ago uh, with Australians and asked people whether they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. Around 40% of Australians in that survey said they believed Jesus was raised from the dead. That was much higher than I expected, actually. But can I say, only about an eighth of that 40% believe it makes any difference. So you might believe in the event, but but only a very tiny percentage of those people thinks it makes a difference to their lives. What difference does the resurrection make? How would you know if you thought it made a difference to your life? 
One shorter way, way to work it out is by again looking at Matthew's gospel and seeing the reaction of people to Jesus. When the women see Jesus raised, chapter 28, verse 9, they came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then later, when all the disciples eventually did turn up in Galilee, where they were told to go, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And then in verse 18, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. And his resurrection proves it. You will never breathe air that doesn't belong to Jesus. You will never walk on land that he does not own. You will never be in a city or a coffee shop that isn't Jesus. Do you understand? He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of history. He is the ruler of the world. He is the boss. But is he your boss? Do you understand? That's the test of whether Jesus rose from the dead in history and the test of whether you actually believe it for yourself and understand its implications. Or, to put it in another language, do you worship him? Uh, It's a really old-fashioned term, worship. Uh, Not so much about the singing of songs that we've been doing this morning, that's a part of worship. Uh, But when the Bible talks about worship, it's talking about when you dedicate your life in service of someone or something. It's when they become the, the central and the occupying person in your existence. Friends, Jesus died for your sin so that you might have forgiveness. He defeated death and he will raise his followers to life. He rules the universe now because he is alive and he is Lord of the universe now. And when you get that, then he dominates your existence. And you want everyone, everyone to know what a wonderful Lord you follow. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead? Oh, good. That's good if you do. I'm pleased for you. But do you understand it's not enough? It's not enough just to know the facts. So let me ask you a different question. Are you a worshipper of Jesus who died and rose again from the dead? See, does he dominate and capture your life and your heart? See, that's, that's the real question you need to ask this Easter. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, Jesus didn't stay dead in the tomb, uh, that you fulfilled your promises in raising him to life. And Father, we pray that uh, for our part, you'll bring conviction both of our sin, but also the assurance that in raising Jesus to life, he is Lord of the universe and we are to give our lives to him, the one who has forgiven us and conquered death. Thank you that 
That means we're not bereft in a world wondering what's going on. We don't have to doubt the future because you've secured it by his resurrection. And we know that those who put their trust in him uh, won't be bound by this world, but actually will be brought through death to life, to share life eternally with you. Uh, Father, we pray in the meantime that we'll be just like his disciples who bow our lives, our minds, our hearts before him and worship him. Uh, Father, help us to work out the implications of that every day of our life. Help us not to be uh, people who acknowledge on the one hand true facts but don't see their implication. Help us to be people who understand the implication of these truths that profoundly affect every aspect of what it means to be your people in this world. Uh, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.